Today's scripture reading is from Galatians 5, 16 through 26. Turn there with me if you have a Bible or a Bible app. Galatians 5, 16 through 26. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these oppose to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and other things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against things such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. All right, good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, for another socially distanced gathering of Trailhead Church. Truly, thank you for tuning in this morning. My name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor of Trailhead, and uh, I am very privileged that you are joining us this morning. If you are watching on Facebook or on Vimeo, I would encourage you to go ahead and connect with us on social media. Like us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. Uh, we push out information. We keep our community connected. Um, it is a great way to connect with others and uh, stay connected to our community. Uh, happy Father's Day, right? If you are a dad or if you have a dad, Happy Father's Day. That's about as inclusive as I can get. Um, our team put together a fun little video uh, to help us celebrate Father's Day. So let's go ahead and cue that up. Happy Father's Day, Daddy! Happy, Happy Father's, Father's Day, Dad! Dad. Hey Dad, happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Happy, happy Father's, Father's Day, Day Jerry. Chinji Aquala. Happy Father's Day, we love you. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to my favorite boss. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, I love you. Strong, really, really strong, helpful, and awesome. 
I would describe my dad as awesome and funny. Funny. Silly. He always makes me laugh. Busy and works hard. An example of faithfulness, even in the midst of really hard times. I need two words to describe my father. Kind and caring. I like wrestling with dad. I like to roleplay those. I like to play with dad. Puzzle to play games with my dad. I like to look for lightning bugs with my dad. I like it when daddy plays with me. I like it when daddy plays outside with me. Run really, 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 really fast. My bike ride is going daddy daughter thanks of him. I love when he takes me on special things. I love how he tickles me. I like when he plays connect with me. I like to play a song with my stellar stick. To play Halo with him and help with him. I really like how he takes care of me. He likes the cups just like me. I like when my dad is sweet. I like to go on a bike ride. That was awesome. Huge thanks and a shout out to uh, Julie Free, who did all the editing work on that. Um, dads, we are, we're thankful for you, right? Not, not just the kiddos, they're, they're incredibly cute, but we are, as a community, truly thankful for good fathers. Um, we're all better when, when our dads are better. And men, today's message isn't just for you. So this isn't a Father's Day message just for the fathers, but it definitely is for you. I want you to hear that um, because I, here, you want to be a man worthy of respect? Do, do you want to be a, a good husband? Do you want to be a great dad? Uh, today's passage, today's passage is absolutely speaking to those questions. I can give you no greater advice as, as a man than to heed the passage we're going to be looking at today. Uh, today's passage makes a ridiculous promise. I mean, it really does. Basically, it's this. Everything you truly want in life. Everything you truly want in life. You're like, well, I want money. No, you don't. Nobody wants just money. You, you want what money gets you, right? You want what's on the other side of money. What do you truly want? You truly want to love and be loved. You, 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 you want to have a deep abiding joy you want you want to have a sense of of peace and security and safety you 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 want to be not easily provoked you you want to be uh calm you want to be kind and good and and experience the the warmth of of being able to love others and being loved by others gentleness faithfulness self-control all of these things are yours according to our passage they're already yours they're part of god's gift to you in grace and all you need to do to access this gift is walk in the Spirit. If you walk in the Spirit, this fruit will be born out in your life. Are, are you struggling with being spiritual? I mean, just 
being spiritual uh, in an unspiritual world? Are, are you struggling with loving um, the unlovable? Are you, are you struggling loving, loving those that should be easy to love right now? Are you, are, you, are you struggling with controlling your addictions in this crazy time of, of, of isolation and pandemic? Are, are you struggling with knowing how to fight hate without being consumed by resentment? Are you struggling uh, to know if true and lasting change is even possible for yourself, let alone for the world? Does any of this make sense? Can any of it actually change? Listen, the solution to all of these challenges is presented to us right here and it's presented in an incredibly simple way. Walk in the Spirit. When we walk in the Spirit, we receive the fullness of the gifts of Christ through the Spirit. Now Paul makes it sound so incredibly simple in verse 16. In verse 16 he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's very, very simple. Walk in the Spirit and, and you, you won't gratify those, those fleshly desires, right? Now let me clarify. What, what do we mean by flesh? Right? If, if you're not a church person, if you haven't been around, you're like, does that mean human desires? Does that mean bodily desires? Is there something wrong with, with my body? And, and no, he doesn't mean body when he talks about flesh here. He's not saying there's something wrong with the human body or, or that to become truly spiritual, we have to become free of the body. No, God created us as embodied humans. Our humanity is part of our spirituality. Right? When, when, when Jesus wanted to reach out to us where we are, he became one of us. He became, he took a body, right? He became human. And, and, and he didn't just leave. When he rose from the dead, he rose in, in a body. And he ascended in a body. And he will reign in the kingdom of God in a body. There's nothing wrong with the human body. There's nothing innately sinful with human fleshly uh, desires, right? So what does Paul mean when, it, when he says that, that there's something about the flesh? Well, when he's talking about the flesh, he's not talking about the body. He's talking about indwelling sin. He's talking about the embodiment of humanity's original rebellion that we find in, in, in our first parents, but we see echoed in every human born since then. And, and, and it is a desire, a deep-seated desire to be like God. That's the temptation that our first parents succumbed to, that they could be like God, no longer humbly dependent on God, but like God. They, could, they, they would no longer walk in, in, in receiving from God. They would walk in competition with God. They would be equal to God. They would define their own stories, mark the boundaries of their own glory, and, and, and find their own security and, and establish themselves apart from God, right? The flesh is that part of us. Is, is the echo of that original sin. It is the ongoing effect of that original rebellion that is interwoven with our broken nature. It is that part of us that desires to do life apart from God. It is that part of us that, that, that seeks to compete with God instead of humbly depend on God. Right? It's that part of us that wants to tell the story for our lives and we want God to bless our story for us instead of humbly leaning in and asking him what his story is for our lives. We want to be like God. It is the power that ultimately generates our rebellion against God 
but also all the systems of rebellion against God that we create. It's, it's that word. We, we talk about it a lot, and it's worth revisiting this morning, and it's the word worldliness. Now, religious people have done a, a horrible hack job on this world, and, and when they talk about worldliness, typically what they mean is all the bad stuff out there, right? I was part of a church, and they were like, culture is evil, culture is worldliness, and, and when, when you asked them what culture they were, they were like, well, we don't have culture. We, culture is, 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 is worldliness, right? The problem is they were stuck in the cultures of the 1950s, right, where women wore dresses and they only used pianos. And, and they didn't realize that they had just frozen themselves in a moment of culture. They were still embodied in culture. Um, worldliness isn't the evil stuff out there. Now, it is. There is evil stuff out there that's worldliness, but worldliness is more than that. Worldliness is, is what, how we are complicit in creating the evil out there. Worldliness, the word worldliness comes from the Greek word cosmos, which means an ordered system. So the word world, cosmos, doesn't mean the, the physical ground underneath my feet. It means the systems that we create together to do life on this, on this, on this earth right? So worldliness are the systems we create for, for doing life. And because it grows out of our rebellion against God, it is the systems we create to find the fullness of God apart from the God who gives the fullness. It is the systems we create to ultimately find all the blessings of God, but in rebellion to the God who gives the blessings. We want to do it independent from God, not in humble dependence on God. So we create these systems of doing life, apart from God, of finding the fullness of life. Apart from God, we create broken systems because we have broken desires. It is the flesh that leads people ultimately to destroy themselves in the name of pleasure, right? Individually. Destroy myself through my addictions. Destroy myself through my, my pursuits of pleasure. It is the flesh that leads people to create systems of injustice, to profit off the, the, the suffering of others, right? The, so when a culture comes together and, and we're all alike and our brokenness reflects each other and we create systems that advantage us and disadvantage them, right? Uh, that, that, that is a manifestation of the flesh. It is the flesh that motivates people to dehumanize and exploit others simply because they're different, right? Because you're different, you're less. And because you're less, I'm, I'm better, right? It is the flesh, this deep desire to be independent from God, to compete with God, to find the fullness of life apart from God that ultimately deceives us, enslaves us, tortures us, and in the end, betrays us, right? It is the flesh that leads to my personal brokenness, but also leads to the systemic brokenness that we create together, it, 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 is, it is manifest in my personal actions as well as in the systems that we ultimately create to find life together. All right, C.S. Lewis, not surprisingly, says it a whole lot better than I do and way more succinctly. Okay, in his book, Mere Christianity, he is talking about this very thing. He talks about man's desire to find the fullness of life apart from the God who gives it. And he says this, out of that hopeless attempt, and he means by that to find life apart from the God who gives it, out of that hopeless attempt, has come nearly all that we call human history. Money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery. The long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. So flesh, the flesh has driven individual corruption and systemic corruption in humanity throughout human history. Every person and every 
culture has manifest the brokenness of this desire. No one has been able to defeat it. No one has been able to diffuse it. No one has been able to overcome it. So I want you to see just how insane the promise of verse 16 is. Walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. This force that has corrupted all human behavior and all human culture since the beginning is this easy to defeat. Walk by the Spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. In fact, the original Greek makes this even stronger. In the original Greek, it's crazy. This is, what, this is a triple negative. Paul uses three negatives here, which in English we have no equivalent for. Right? We get all, like if you use a double negative in English, it becomes a positive. Right? So if I say, don't not listen to this message, that actually means do listen to it because two negatives negate each other and become a positive. And, and if you don't get it, don't worry about it. It just does. Um, in the Greek, the more negatives you throw up, the more emphasis is added. This is a triple negative. Walk by the Spirit and, and you will not. You cannot. There's, there's just no way you're going to fulfill the desires of the flesh. Are you struggling? Paul's like, well, there you go. There's your easy answer. Walk by the Spirit. And when you do, the flesh will be powerless against you. So let me ask you something. If it's that easy, why does it seem so hard? Well, because the flesh is the default mode of the human heart. You know what I mean? Like the default mode of your computer. If everything goes crazy on your computer, you hit reset, right? You just shut it down and, and, and restart it in its default mode. The flesh is, is the original operating system of our heart. We're born with it. It's what we rely on. It's what we're used to. And honestly, in our sin, it's what we love. And so the flesh, while the spirit is easy to defeat it, the problem is we love it and we have to be freed from that love. We have to be freed from our addiction to our, our fleshly desires. When you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, when you believe the gospel, that Jesus died and rose again for you, that he died for your sin and, and rose again for your righteousness, and, and when you believe in him, you're completely cleansed and forgiven. When you believe that, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells you, right? We've talked about this in previous weeks. And, and when he does, what you need to realize is that he is taking ground in enemy territory, Right? He is taking ground in your heart, and your heart is enemy territory, right? Romans 5 tells us that, that while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us, right? Our hearts are at enmity against God because we are rebelling against God and want to supplant God, right? Now, the Holy Spirit comes and takes territory and will progressively, over our lives, take more and more territory. We, we call that sanctification, the process of being set apart uh, more and more for the glory of God. He, he will do that. But you need to realize the flesh doesn't go down without a fight. And what gives it its energy is our love. What gives it its energy is our devotion. It's our commitment. It's our, it, it ultimately is, is us being deceived. The flesh is deceitful and it is treacherous. It makes promises it can't keep. It lures us in with desires that, that ultimately we think are going to lead us to the fullness of life, but don't, right? It's a battle. 
And in fact, Paul immediately lays out the battleground that exists for the soul. And, and what I want you to see is that the battle is within us. Not, it's not that the spirit has to work to defeat the flesh. That, that's easy for the spirit. <laughs> what, what the real work is, is where we ultimately are going to root our desires. But take a look at verse 17 so that you can see the nature of this battle. Verse 17, for the de- desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do, right? The language in Greek is very vivid. This is the language of trench warfare. The, the, the spirit is entrenched against the flesh. And the flesh is entrenched against the, the spirit. And, and what I want you to notice is that it's th- at the level of desires, right? We're not talking about a battle that takes place at the level of behavior, we're talking about a battle that is waged at the level of, of human desire. The battle isn't primarily about what you do. It's primarily about why you do it. Let me give you an illustration. Maybe you, you look at porn because you have a deep sense of shame. And looking at porn is a way of compensating for that shame, right? You never get rejected by porn. You never feel alienated by porn. And so you find yourself addicted, drawn to it again and again because you have this shame that plagues you and drives you. And so in your flesh, instead of seeking out the the comfort of the love of God, instead of finding your approval in in the approval of God, instead of um, having your shame removed by, by the love of God, you instead, in the flesh, try to find the fullness of life apart from the God who gives it, right? Now maybe in that process, you start doing CrossFit. And you find that you really, really like looking better than others. In fact, you, you, your body responds in such a way that people start praising you and giving you attention and talking about how good looking you are. And what you find is that there's a better way to compensate for your shame than looking at porn. It's by becoming eye candy for others and, and feeding off the attention they give you. And you start feeling superior to all these others. And, and, and you find yourself like no longer needing to look at porn. But you're still driven by the same desires. Do you see what happens there? See, the, the battle there needs to be waged at the level of desires. If all you're doing is changing the behaviors, all you're doing is rearranging the furniture of your heart. You don't need to rearrange the furniture of your heart. You, you need a whole new heart. You, you, need, you need something completely new, right? The battle isn't won at the level of behavior. At that level... You're just shifting one fleshly expression for another. You, you can't get set free from the flesh by working in the flesh. This is why certain forms of, of religion can be downright evil, right? Certain forms of, of what we would even call Christian religion can be downright evil, right? Jesus ran into that when he, when he was talking to the Pharisees. He's like, he's like, you guys are just whitewashed tombs. You look really, really good on the outside, But inside, you're full of all the rottenness and decay and stench of pride and and superiority and condemnation of others and rivalry and greed, right? This is why, ultimately, the battle has to be waged at a deeper level than just our behaviors. This is why, according to Paul at the end of the verse, he says, this is why you can't do what you want. Because our desires will seduce us and deceive us, and ultimately enslave us. There's, there's a, a common way of defining freedom in America that is really, really deceptive. Um, we think of freedom as getting to do what we want. All right, so if I get to do what I want, 
I'm free. And that's why I want more money, so I can do what I want when I want. That's why I want a promotion, so I can work the way I want. That's why, right? Freedom is getting to do what I want when I want, and, and greater freedom is having a greater freedom to indulge in those ways. And, of course, that's a completely flawed definition of freedom. According to that definition of freedom, a drug addict with an unlimited supply of drugs is the freest person on earth. And, and yet we look at that person and we recognize that they are the most enslaved, right? They've become enslaved by what they pursued to experience freedom. Listen, freedom isn't getting to do what you want. Freedom is wanting to do what is good. Because when you want to do what is good, in other words, when you want what will actually give you life, you can do whatever you want. But like, like if you actually have desires that are set on what is good, you have the freedom to pursue all of those desires. That's why the worst advice I could give you and anybody can give you is, you know, you should just do whatever makes you happy. That's completely uh, uh, wrong because it misunderstands the level of desires that drive us. What we perceive makes us happy. If we are deceived about what will give life, we'll pursue what ultimately will destroy life in the name of happiness, right? So we need to ask a deeper question. Not what will make me happy, but why do I think this will make me happy? What is the desire that is driving that behavior? Is this desire coming from the flesh or the spirit? Because when you walk in the spirit, you will be completely and totally free. When you walk in the Spirit, it says you, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. You, you will be free to pursue all the desires for goodness and the, and the fullness of life. That's why in verse 18, uh, it says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law, right? You don't need a law to govern your behavior when you're led by the Spirit because all your desires are, are good. When, when your desires are all for what gives life, you don't need a law to become the guardrails of your life to keep you out of self-destruction because your internal compass keeps you on the way to life, right? There's no freedom like this to pursue every desire without reservation. Now listen, that is, follower of Christ, our future. That is our promised future. It isn't our current reality. Our current reality is a, is a reality of internal conflict and competing desires, the flesh wages war against the spirit. It is a deadly enemy and it is our constant companion. That impulse of original rejection of God, original rebellion against God is continually striving against the internal work of the spirit to free us. So how do we know if we're working in the flesh? If it's deceptive and, and the slope is that slippery and, 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 and it is, if we love it, even the, and, and, and so, you know, those desires come in and they trick us. How do we know if we're, if we're being motivated by the desires of the flesh? Well, Paul says that if we develop eyes for it, the works of the flesh are actually quite evident. In verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. In other words, they're visible. They're, they're obvious. And then he gives us a list of examples in verses 19 through 21. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time here in detail, but I want you to see that, that this list, man, this list describes every form of evil, every, every form of injustice, every form of suffering inflicted by man against man is represented here. And, and these, these can be grouped together. So it begins with sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, three words that describe the misuse of the gift of sex. 
Uh, right now, remember, God's not against sex. God created it. It's not like God's offended by sex. He created us to be sexual beings. Sex is, is a good gift from a good God. The problem is when we use that gift in ways God never intended to be used. When we use sex to try to find our, our approval. When we, when we use sex to try to run from feelings of shame. When we try to use sex as, as a manifestation of power. When, when, we, when we use sex purely as a, a form of pleasure to, to uh, avoid boredom, right? When we misuse the gift to try to get what only the giver of the gift can give, it becomes a manifestation of the flesh, right? This is, of course, the source not only of personal porn addiction, but also uh, on the personal level, but human trafficking uh, of, of people for sex on a systemic level, right? It's a drive to misuse this gift, right? The next two words, idolatry and sorcery, speak of a misplaced worship. Uh, the English word worship comes from an old English word, worth-ship. And, and the idea was, was um, we pour ourselves out to what we find worthy of pouring ourselves out. So in other words, we're always worshiping. We're going to worship something. The question is, what do we find worthy of it? We're going to pour ourselves out, in other words, to something that we think is worthy of our devotion. And we expect that, that after our pouring ourselves out to this, it's going to in, instead fill us. So we pour ourselves out and we expect it in return to fill us what we do not currently have. We, we worship, we pour ourselves out, and that's what idolatry is. When we pour ourselves out to whatever isn't God, and we ask whatever that thing is, whatever that experience is, whatever that dynamic is, to do for us what only God can do and to be for us what only God can be. And, and, and then, having poured ourselves out in idolatry, we seek to manipulate and control reality through these idols. That's what sorcery is. It is the attempt to control and manipulate reality through this worship, right? So a workaholic pours himself out to his career, asking that career to, to meet his deep needs for significance or for value or, or for, you know, this, this is what will make me lovable. We pour ourselves out expecting it to fill us back in. And then we manipulate that idol, that tool, in order to try to control our reality, to try to manipulate people's feelings about us, and perceptions of us, the outcomes of our choices, we, 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 we manipulate it and control it, right? Now, I want you to see this can happen with any idol. An idol is, is, a, is, is not a bad thing, it's a good thing that we turn into an ultimate thing, right? It can be our job, it can be our spouse, it can be a relationship. Um, it, it can even be uh, a healthy love for our country. Right? Christian nationalism can go here. Right? When somebody looks to their, their party or their platform or their politician and they pour themselves out to it, expecting whoever that is or whatever that force is or that political to pour back into them and then they manipulate others and ever, to try to... What they're trying to do ultimately is idolatry and sorcery. They're trying to get the fullness of life without humble dependence on the God who gives it. They're trying to achieve it apart from the God who gives it, right? So idolatry and sorcery. The next list is, is a little bit longer. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, uh, divisions, envy. What I want you to see is that these, everything in this list, are all sins of, of pride and comparison, right? It's all about this us-them dynamic. I need to compare myself to you and find myself better than you 
in certain ways, right? So you become, there's enmity between us. I'm no longer in community with you. I'm in competition with you, right? The more you have, the less I have. The more glory you have, the less glory I have. The more approval you have, the less approval I have. So I'm in enmity with you, right? That leads to strife, right? I I am in competition and and it is a battle, right? It leads to jealousy where I, I, I crave what you have. It leads to envy, right? I think whatever you have, I deserve, right? Uh, it, it leads to fits of anger when I feel powerless to change and, and, and overcome you even though I feel like you are lesser than me. Rivalries where we create tribal identities where we're better than them, right? It leads to dissensions and divisions where we create these deep caverns um, between people or groups of people all in the name of identity of feeling superior to others. I, I must find a way to be morally or, or, or some other way superior to you. So I work harder. I, I see myself as smarter. I have, I have better abs. I, I have a better politician. Whatever it is, right? I have to find a way. The flesh is addicted to comparison and competition. Remember that the heart of flesh is, is a desire to be like God. None of us are God. And so as a result, the best we can settle for is being better than others who aren't like God. And if I'm better than you, I'm closer to that. Right? If I find enough people that I can look down on and despise, the closer I feel to actually fulfilling this deep desire of being like God. Right? I have to find ways to be better than you. And because I'm better than you, somehow, even though I'm not God, I'm closer to fulfilling that desire than you, who also aren't God. Drunkenness and orgies is how he closes out the list. Uh, finishes out with a couple more ways that we, we use pleasure to distract ourselves from our deep needs or to, um, to uh, satisfy deep pains or to ultimately achieve the fullness of life apart from the God who gives it, right? But what I want you to see is that both of these were, were, uh, focus on social events, not just personal indulgence, but, but social indulgence where we feed not only on our personal indulgence in these things, but in the enthusiasm of everyone else who's indulging with us, right? This is describing not just me uh, uh, consuming something that's inappropriate, but all of us consuming it together. And, and part of my joy isn't just in my consumption, it's in sharing the celebration of this consumption with the enthusiasm of others. There is nothing that makes us feel right, quite like being around others who are reveling in the same way we are. That just makes us feel right. It, it just makes us feel better, right? When, when we are surrounded by a bunch of people um, who are doing the, we're, we're all doing the same thing together and, and I see myself reflected in them and, 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 and this can be manifest in drunkenness, right? This is why, um, you, hey, I'm at a party. And what all that party means is, is instead of going into your closet and getting drunk by yourself in your isolation, you're going to go out to a club and get drunk with a bunch of other people who are also getting drunk so you can all puke in the gutter together, right? Drunkenness is this, this, this sense of, of celebrating the enthusiasm of others in the indulgence yourself, right? So it can happen in, in the licentious e- expression of, of, of drunkenness. It can also happen in our religion. Right? Where, where we're all feeding off of the same sense of moral superiority toward others, where we all find the same people to despise, and we all find the same people to look down on, and we find all the same patterns of behavior. So we have all the, the, the same uh, righteousnesses that we all practice, 
and, and we celebrate in each other, but we all kind of ignore the same sins in each other, right? Um, and, and so we just reflect it and, and we take joy in the enthusiasm of everyone indulging together in the same way. And then he ends the list with this great phrase. He says, and things like these. This isn't a complete list. I'm not trying to give you a complete list, right? This is simply, these are simply examples of our drive to find the fullness of life apart from the God who gives that fullness. He says the works of the flesh are obvious. I don't need to give you a complete list. All I need to do is help you identify the root motivations of these things and you'll be able to spot them for yourselves, right? So what are the works of the flesh? They are things that, that put me at the center. The works of the flesh are about, about me fulfilling my desires, telling my story, finding my glory, establishing my security, gaining my pleasure. The works of the flesh are, are my good, my pleasure, my security, my glory, my needs. The flesh exalts and justifies the self. And the flesh degrades and looks down on others to give us a subtle or not so subtle sense of superiority over them. You want to know if you're being driven by the desires of the flesh or the desires of the spirit? Pay attention to the words you say. Pay attention to the the things that you post or want to repost on social media. Pay attention to how you react to people you don't like. Pay attention to how you react to people you do like and ask the question, why do I like you and why am I reacting this way? Are the desires beneath the behaviors self-centered? Are the desires beneath the behaviors self-exalting? Are the desires beneath the behaviors selfish, self-protecting, and greedy? Pridefully puffing yourself up, protecting yourself, building your own kingdom, and looking down on others who threaten whatever it is that makes you secure or important, Does it diminish, dehumanize, and degrade those with whom you disagree? Listen, what Paul is saying is is if you have eyes to see, the works of the flesh are easy to spot, right? Which is another way of saying if you're humble enough to admit it. (laughs) That's what eyes to see means. If you're humble enough to admit it, if you're not going to tell yourself stories and spin uh, motivations and, and come up with justifications and, and, and try to trick yourself and trick others, if, if you're willing to actually see things for what they are, the works of the flesh are obvious because they're all about you, protecting you, providing for you, building up you. Verse 21 tells us that these desires, these motivations are fundamentally in op- opposition to the, to the motivations of the kingdom of God, right? In, uh, at the end of verse 21, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The motivations of the flesh are fundamentally at odds with the motivations of the kingdom. And, and this word means habitually practice. Those, those who habitually practice such things, those whose lives are ordered around the manifestations of the flesh, whether it's in licentious self-indulgence or legalistic religious performance, if you are creating a systematic, habitual way of doing life that ultimately allows you to, or, or, or attempts to find the fullness of God apart from the God who gives it, who puffs you up in pride and lets you feel superior to others, 
you are practicing such things that will not lead you to the kingdom of God. Listen, the flesh, no matter how determined, will never be able to give you what it promises. If you indulge in licentious um, uh, self-indulgence, that pursuit will never fill you with, with what you truly crave. Right? The flesh manifested in, in religious behavior, in moral self-improvement, in, in polishing the tomb and, and getting all your, your T's crossed and your I's dotted and making sure that other religious people celebrate you as also being religious so that you can all look down on the same people together. It'll never get you to the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God... God's blessing in the kingdom of God only comes to those who receive the gift of God's love through grace. It only comes to those who repent of their worldly desires to be like God, to be in competition with God, to find the fullness of God apart from the God who gives it. And instead, they learn, we learn to rest on the grace of God, to find our deep desires met in the love of God. Listen, when, when, when we are walking in accordance with the values of the kingdom, we aren't marked by the works of the flesh. We are filled with the fruit of the Spirit. Verses 22 and 23 give us a, a description of the fruit of the Spirit, right? In verse 22, but in contrast to the works of the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there, there is no law. Uh, let me just kind of run through this list kind of quickly. Love, right? Love, we're not talking about a sappy, happy uh, niceness, right? We're not talking about hallmark drippiness, right? We're, 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 when we're talking about love, we're not talking about the warm and fuzzies. We're talking about love like God's. What does love like God's do? It gives. Love values the other more than it values itself. Right? Love finds its greatest happiness in giving, not keeping. Love seeks to bless instead of to be blessed. Right? When I think about my purest experiences of love, whether it is with Lauren, my wife, or with my kids, or now with my grandkids, I am willing to endure great discomfort for their good because as I see them blessed as a result of that, I have greater joy than had I just kept all that energy for myself. That's love. Love gives, right? So the fruit of the Spirit is love. The ability to be others-centered instead of self-centered. To find infinite riches in giving blessings to others because as you give, you are blessed. Love, joy. Joy, we're not talking about temporary happiness that arises out of a given set of circumstances. We're talking about a deep energy of optimism and hope that comes from knowing that we are infinitely blessed by God. Joy is, is an emotional warmth that, that comes from, from knowing that the God of the universe delights in me. Joy is reminding myself continually that my greatest problem is already solved and my greatest blessing has already been given. Joy is this, 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 this core sense of strength that, that is warm and, 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 and optimistic and hopeful that arises. It, it, it's not based in the circumstances around me. It's based in the circumstances Christ has won for me. Peace. 
Peace is the word here, irene, the Greek word, is equivalent to the Old Testament word shalom. And it it doesn't mean a lack of conflict as much as it means the fullness of blessing, the fullness of life, right? So, So peace here means to be full and satisfied with the blessings of God. When I'm at peace, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not grasping. I'm not, I'm not discontented and greedy and always looking for the next thing and always needing. No, I'm, I'm at peace. I'm full because I've been so blessed. Patient. Patient. Um, there's an emotional calm that just settles in my heart even in the face of provocation. Even in the face of provocation. In fact, that's how you know you have this, this kind of patience is in the face of provocation. You respond instead of with short-temperedness and, and irritability and resentment. You respond instead with kindness and goodness. The next two words on the list. Kindness and goodness both deal with actually being useful to others. Right? When you're kind, you're sharing life in a way that is useful to somebody who needs that life shared. When you're good, you're actually sharing your goodness with others. You're being generous with who you are and what you have to be a blessing to others. Faithfulness. Somebody who is faithful is somebody you can put your faith in. Somebody who is faithful is somebody who is worthy of trust. Somebody who is faithful is is the same through and through. They have an integrity that no matter how you cut their life, no matter how you approach them, you're going to get the same thing because there's a faithfulness to them. They don't pretend to be one thing in one setting and turn out to be something else in another setting. They don't make promises and break promises. They don't don't over-promise and under-deliver. They are true. They are faithful. Gentleness. Gentleness isn't weakness. Gentleness is enough strength to be careful with others, right? When I'm playing with my grandson and he's going nuts in my arms and I know if I drop him, he'll be injured and and yet he's kicking me in the throat and punching me in the eyes, right? Gentleness is the ability to exert my strength even in the face of of that little bit of fury uh, for his good. To protect him, to love him. Gentleness isn't weakness. It's the exertion of strength for the, for the benefit of others. It's the appropriate exertion of strength that is gentle, that seeks to bless them regardless how they are treating you. Self-control. Self-control, y'all, is freedom. I want you to think about it like that. Self-control isn't all about self-will and self-mastery, although those are elements of it. Self, self-control really flows from having your desires aligned for what is good. You have self-control when you can fulfill your desires and when your desires lead you to the fullness of life. The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is what we all crave. Like, like what you're pursuing in all your fleshly pursuits is the fruit of the Spirit. What you're trying to pursue in your, in your poured out idolatries, what you're trying to pursue in your licentious self-indulgences, what you're trying to pursue in your religious performances is given to you freely by simply walking in the Spirit. It is, it is a gift of grace given to you because Jesus died and rose again. And when you believe in Him, you are filled with the Spirit. He indwells you. It's yours. Not as a resor- result of your hard work for God, but as a gift of grace because of His work for you. It's yours. Not because you earn it, but because he has earned it on your behalf. And you experience it by simply keeping in step with the Spirit. So in my final minutes, I want to give you three simple principles, three simple insights that will help you keep in step with the Spirit. First, don't rest in what you do. Instead, rest in what he has done for you. There's a critical difference in, in what we do for God and what God has done for us. 
And there's a huge difference in trusting in my performance for God and God's performance for me. There's, there's a real meaning behind Paul's choice of words. He talks about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. That's fundamentally different. Works are things I produce where I expend energy to try to accomplish something and do something. Fruit is the byproduct of simply abiding in a relationship. Right? We talked about that last week when, when we talked about abiding in the vine. Right? All I'm doing is, is staying connected to the love of God, responding to the love of God in the same way that, that Jesus responded to the love of His Father, to abide in the love of His Father. We abide in the love of the Son. We, we come back to the gospel over and over and over again to awaken ourselves to the beautiful love of God and respond to that love. And so as we fill our vision with the love of God, what he has done for us, that we are accepted because of his performance on our behalf, and we respond to that love, allowing it to humble us and free us in love, you'll bear fruit. You'll bear fruit. Not because you're working for God, but because you're learning to rest in what God has done for you. Second principle, stop looking at the current situation as a barrier to fruitfulness. And instead, see it as an invitation to fruitfulness. Verses 25 and 26 say this, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The reason he says that to the Galatians is because the Galatians were a church in conflict. They weren't a church at peace. They, they had a tremendous amount of internal conflict. And, and he's not saying, hold your breath until the conflict is over. He's not saying, you know, do your best just not to cause any damage until, until everything, all this stress passes, and then you'll be able to grow. He says, now is the perfect time for growth. Now is the perfect time for growth. And some of you are like, Steve, man, it's too hard. Right now, it's too hard. Listen, it's not any harder right now than it usually is. It's not. It's just that your flesh is more provoked than it usually is. Listen, it's easy to pretend to be walking in the Spirit when no one's provoking your flesh, right? It is easy to pretend to be walking in the Spirit when no one's giving you a headache or causing you trouble or, or, or contradicting your will or challenging your ideas or making you uncomfortable. The flesh loves to fake spirituality. The flesh is totally content to fake it. Listen, the pressure we feel from life from this pandemic, from, from the social pressure for change, for, for, for all of these things, the pressure we feel doesn't change us. It reveals us. Circumstances don't determine if you're walking in the flesh or the Spirit. The circumstances simply reveal whether you're walking in the flesh or the Spirit. Stop making excuses and see the reality. The works of the flesh are evident, man. Just... This is an invitation to grow in the walk. The pressure actually works as fertilizer for the growth of the fruit. This actually becomes God's tool to help you grow. Push into God's love for you and ask the Spirit to increase the fruitfulness in the midst of the suffering because all it's doing is revealing whether or not you're walking in the flesh or walking in the Spirit. Thirdly and finally, this is the path to both personal transformation and cultural renewal. You want to be freed from your addictions? Walk in the Spirit. You want to see systemic injustice truly set right? Walk in the Spirit. God doesn't bring His justice through your work in the flesh. 
God doesn't bring you personal transformation as a reward for your hard work. God is a God of redemption and restoration. And he will redeem and restore you, child of God. And he will redeem and restore the whole world as he has promised. The gospel is both personal and cosmic in scope. But what you need to realize is that these are not two different plans. God has one plan for the redemption and restoration, both of me as an individual and us as a world. Do you want to work out true justice? Do you want to be a true blessing to your neighbor? Learn to work from God's love for you, not for their love for you. Work for justice by working out of response to God's work for justice. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Listen, it's the only path. Because otherwise, if we're working in the flesh and we correct some problems of the flesh, we'll just rearrange the furniture and create new problems in the flesh. We can, we can address and fix some systems of injustice and simultaneously create all new systems that are unjust and abusive. Our only hope is not our work for the world, our work for God, our work for each other. Our only hope is that our work flows from our rest. That we are those who rest in the Spirit, who abide in the vine, who walk in the Spirit, allowing Him to produce the fruit that has come uh, as a result of Jesus' death and resurrection. Because it's that that transforms not only us, but the world. Let me close this in a word of prayer. Father, I thank You um, for the gift of the Spirit. I thank you, Jesus, that that you sent the Spirit. You said, if I go away, I will send you something better than my personal presence. I I will send the paraclete, I will send the helper, I will send the Spirit who will abide in you and lead you into all truth. Lord, I, I thank you for this gift. Lord, we want to walk in the Spirit. We don't want to be controlled by the desires of the flesh. Will you, Lord, enable us to discover this humility? to repent of our addictions, to recognize all the ways we're trying to replace you and go to war with you and and ultimately manipulate you. And will you allow us to lay down our arms, lay down our weapons, lay down our pretendings and our performings and just come and be loved. Because Jesus died for us and rose again that, that we could receive grace and in receiving grace to be set free from the addictions that arise from our shame to be set free, from our manipulations that arise out of our fear to be set free, from the battles we wage because we're angry, that that we would be set free to love, to have joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. For your glory and our good, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.